with our dinner afterwards. Praise God. The name of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, Acts. Yep. Yeah, keep Diana sign on your prayers. Amen. As we look through some issues. Acts 24 and 14. Acts 24 and 14. Lord. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, this is Paul testifying, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I, I love God's word. I believe God's word. It's inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. It is trustworthy. Amen. So I got this boat, and uh, I'm not putting a lot of money into it yet. Yet. I won't put a lot of money into it. It's just an old boat. But the guy who rebuilt the motor said, before you do any more work, you know, before you try to restore the gel coat, before you do any of this, uh, he said, you got to make sure it floats. It makes sense. Pretty logical. He said, it hasn't been in the water in a decade. You want to make sure that it floats. Good. Some good advice. Amen. Church God's word floats. (laughs) We can trust it. Amen. I mean, it's going to get you there. Praise God. God's word never failed me. Amen. It's gotten me to the other side. Praise God. It is trustworthy. As I mentioned last week, it doesn't take you too long to find out somebody who lied on their resume if you hire them. Uh, it doesn't take too long to find out if what they said about themselves is true or false. It doesn't take too long to find out God's word is true. And God's word says it's true. God's word is its own resume. Amen. He testifies, it testifies of itself. It is true. It's testimonies of the prophets and the apostles. The prophets like Moses, the apostles like John and Paul testified that they spake not of themselves, but by the Spirit of God. The men of God in every age accepted early biblical books as divinely inspired. It is God's word. Amen. We don't, we don't consider it just God's word for that time, the original audience. It is still God's word for us today. If it was good for them, if Romans 1 was good for them, if Luke 24 was good for them, it's good for me. It is God's word. God does not change. We change. But God doesn't change. And Jesus Christ accepted the Old Testament as God's word. Luke 20, some people will say today, yeah, but we don't live in the Old Testament, which we don't. And, and 
people will dismiss all of the Old Testament. Just dismiss it. Well, we don't live under that anymore. But, but the Old Testament is still God's word. Luke 24 and 44, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then, he, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And so he is quoting God's word as being God's word. He commissioned the disciples, the writers of the New Testament, to proclaim the gospel uh, and that they would be able to do it by canonizing it, by writing down the inspired word of God. He also said that the Spirit of God would lead them to all truths. And so the word of God was written under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to lead us into all truths, John 16 and 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall uh, hear, that shall he speak, and he'll show you all things to come. Uh, so to reject God's word as authority is to respect, is to reject Jesus Christ as authority. Some people will say, well, you know, um, well, Jesus, you know, Jesus said that, uh, um, I'm trying to think of, of something that's a, a current event that's taking place. Oh, I've, I've heard it said in the last month, uh, well, Jesus never said anything about same-sex marriage. And so, uh, so it must be okay. Uh, when, in fact, Jesus actually did say something about marriage. He promoted Traditional marriage. He said, a man shall leave a woman. He quoted Old Testament, shall cling to, you know, her husband or, or you know. Uh, uh, he, he promoted the traditional view of marriage. He, uh, excuse me, he married, he went to a wedding and performed his first miracle. And it was a traditional wedding that he performed his first miracle at. Um, and furthermore, th there's many scriptures that talk about traditional marriage. There's many scriptures that talk about uh, the abomination of a, an alternate lifestyle. Well, Jesus promoted those scriptures. He, he, he said that they were part of God's word. So how do we ignore God's word? How do we reject God's word and yet accept Jesus? You really can't. It's either God's word with Jesus or it's, it's, you can't have one Without the other, we know that the walls of the city had 12 foundations and the names of the 12 apostles in the land. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. Prove all things, right? Hold fast to that which is good. So how do we prove all things? We prove it through God's word. We explain, we, we talk about Jesus being the spirit of the truth. God's word is truth. And yet Jesus said, I'm truth. I'm the light. I'm the way. I'll pray the Father who will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So the Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. Yet Jesus said, I'm with you. I shall be in you. So Jesus is the spirit of truth. You know him. He dwells with you and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It's all so simple. Jesus is the spirit of truth. Amen. But when the Comforter comes, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, 
which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. And so this is the dual nature. This is the man, Jesus Christ, talking here. Amen. Talking about the spirit of Jesus Christ, the dual nature. Uh, uh, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Colossians 1 and 26. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. It's a mystery. We have Christ in us. The hope of glory. The mystery is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. This Christ in us. But church, we wouldn't understand all that if it weren't for God's word. When we've been filled with the Holy Ghost, we've been filled with Jesus. We've been filled with the word in the flesh, and so we have the same spirit that has inspired the authors of God's word dwelling in us. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It bears witness, it confirms with our spirit. We've been adopted, we've been grafted in. Amen. That is what God's Word does. And when we believe in it and when we obey it, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit, letting us know. Amen. That we are the children of God. Thank you, Jesus. His Word gives us life-changing power. There was this lady, this girl in college, And she decided that it was about time for her to experience her first official date. She was a sophomore. But her roommate was a knowledgeable junior. And so her roommate asked her, do you prefer southern men or northern men? Since she was from South Dakota, she was unaware of the nuances between north and south. And her worldly wise roommate said, Well, southern boys are more romantic. They'll take you on long walks in the moonlight and whisper sweet nothings in your ear. Northern boys are more active. They like to go places and do exciting things. And the girl pondered the contrast of the two and took a while to make her decision. Then she said, can you give me a southern boy who lives as far north as possible? All of us have an expectation when we are compelled to make a decision in our lives. And most of life-changing decisions have conflict in them. If I take this job, this will happen. If I do this, that will happen. And so this conflict and this turmoil creates a, a anxiety that we have. But church, when we have been born again and we love God's word, we have something that no one else has. We have direction from God, from the Holy Ghost, from his word. I mean, how many times I was going to ask uh, this evening if anyone uh, has their favorite scripture and, and it has it, how has it affected your life? You know, I'm just going to ask, anyone have a favorite scripture? Anyone have one that, that it just almost every day comes to your mind? What is it? 
Amen. What's it mean to you? You're applying his word to your life, everyday life. I think the scripture you all know, Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and breathe and have our being, even as your poets have said, we are his offspring. I think about that all the time. I, um, uh, they say that if fish have a language, had a language, they wouldn't have any word for water. Uh, uh, we, we live in God. He's everywhere. Uh, you know, you think about, and this is what I think about all the time with the scripture. We, we sometimes, because we, we put God in human terms, which is important, we, I've taught about that to understand, you know, the aspects of God. But, but you know, we, he's as close as the mention of his name. Listen, he's, he's there all the time. He's there all the time. It's not like if we say his name, he jumps in his truck and he drives up to our house. He is there all the time. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, it's, I think that scripture means that, that when you say his name, that them, I mean, when you're saying his name, that those sound waves are right there. They're right there as you're saying his name. He's as close as the sound waves when you say his name. He's just everywhere. In him we live and move. Uh, that's about God's word. So his word directs us. His word guides us. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. So his word is transforming. It's life-changing. We obey it. We believe his commandments. We did it when we were saved. We, we repented. We were baptized in Jesus' name. We were filled with the Holy Ghost. We separated our life from the worldly lifestyle. We ask God to deliver us from habits, addictions. We ask God to transform us into useful, Christian, purposeful saints. And it's all because of his word. Because of his word, we know about speaking in tongues. Because of his word, we know about the gifts of the spirit. Uh, we know about the, the armor of God. We know about supernatural healings. Because of his word, we know about demonic forces that they can be expelled. Because of his word, we know that we are children of God. Because of his word, the Bible challenges us to claim all of these promises that he's given us in his word. Will a man rob God? I talked about a, a little bit about it in the last week or two. You've robbed me. Wherein have we robbed thee? In your tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. The point is not that God is cursing us, uh, for the goodness of God leads a man to repentance, Romans 2 and 4. Uh, uh, the point is that God is telling us from his word, from his word, uh, the Bible says Satan is the God of the world. When we don't live according to God's word, uh, we choose not to live under the umbrella of God's protection. And part of that protection includes our finances. Now, I'm not preaching and teaching our tithes tonight. You all know 
about tithes and offerings. I'm, I'm talking about this concept. God is giving us in his word. It's in his word. There is a protection when we obey his word that is not there otherwise. Amen. I will rebuke the devourer, Malachi 3 and 11, for your sake. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of the field, saith the Lord of hosts. How is, he de- de- how is he rebuking the devourer when we obey his word? I mean, there's power. Amen. We talked about the, the difference. Niagara Falls is water, but there's also water in the air that we're in right now, but there's difference. Niagara Falls is the manifest power of water where, where we just are here and we, we have a, a high humidity which doesn't really do anything. When we are obeying God's word, he moves. He he does something. He protects us. He guides us. Hallelujah. He anoints us when we obey his word. There's this manifest presence of God when we are obedient to him. Amen. I have never seen anyone who stepped out in faith concerning scripture. I've never seen anyone who said, I'm going to obey God's word, not be blessed because of it. Amen. I've seen people in financial straits who begin to give tithes and offerings, who begin to obey God's word, and all of a sudden, the devourer stops consuming their finances. All of a sudden, their tires last a little longer. All of a sudden, their roof lasts a little longer. All of a sudden, uh, their car seems to get a little better gas mileage. I've seen it, church. I know. I, I, I've seen it. We One time I was preaching and San Antonio, we had nothing. We had nothing, but we were faithful in our tithes and offerings. After, after I preached, we went to the gas station, and one of the saints, may have been the pastor, I can't recall, uh, was there at the gas station. We lived in Austin, some 80 miles away. We were going, I hope we can get home. And, and the saint or the pastor said, I'll, I'll fill your car up for you. It, I know it's just a silly, but I want to tell you, I still remember it. I still remember it because... God makes a way. God opens a door. God, uh, when you're faithful with him, he's faithful with you. He's faithful with you. Amen. I was talking to somebody in the last week or so, um, and, uh, and they said, you know, I'm beginning to question God's existence. Uh, you know, I pray, I, I, I've been praying that he would do this or that, and, and he hasn't answered my prayer, so I'm beginning to question God's existence. It's a family member, so, so no big deal. We, we, we have these conversations with my family all the time. And, uh, uh, and, and then like five minutes later, uh, you know, I brought up God's word. I said, you know, have you done this? And she said, no. I said, well, have you done this? And she said, no. I said, you know what? God's questioning your existence <laughs> because he's asking you to do things and you won't do them. He's beginning to wonder whether you exist. Oh, she said, you're a smart ass, aren't you? I said, yeah, but listen to what I'm saying. Amen. Church, God is going to, you can't outgive God, but if you don't give, why would we ever expect God to give back? Why would we ever expect God to step up when we don't step up? Amen. And one of the ways we step up is by obeying his word, by living in his word. Now, we know God's word is true Part of the reasons we know his word is true is through fulfilled prophecy. I mean, I, let's go to Isaiah 41 
and 21, if you have your Bibles. Isaiah 41 and 21, just one of the greatest uh, prophets of the, of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Isaiah 41 and 21. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things that they shall be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold, behold it together. Notice the second part of 23b. It indicates an utter failure of the challenge, and now it turns to scorn. What's been prophesied? What's been prophesied? One-fourth, they say, of all Scripture is prophecy. It's, it's predictive, predictive prophecy. Israel, you have King, King uh, Josiah reigns, Queen Jezebel's death, the disbursement of Israel, the Babylonian captor, captive, the regathering of Israel. You have the Gentile nations. It's prophesied the, the future of Babylon, the future of Tyre, the future of Egypt. You have in Daniel the prophecies about the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Daniel 11 talks about a conflict between Syria and Egypt that, is, that has such great detail and accuracy. Even the liberal scholars don't understand how Daniel was able to write all this prophecy. We have about Jesus Christ, church, well, I could teach for a year on the prophecies of Jesus Christ. I mean, you have that the lineage of Judah, of David, his miraculous conception, uh, Galilean ministry where he was born, that he was rejected of the Jews, his time of birth, his relative place of birth, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, even his betrayal with 30 pieces of silver, many parts of his trial, many parts of his death, including that he would be silent before his accusers, that he would be smitten, that he would be spit upon, that he would be punished with criminals, that he would have his hands and feet pierced, that he would be mocked, that they would offer gall and vinegar, that they would cast lots for his garment because they would be one piece, that not a bone in his body would be broken, that he would be buried with the rich, that he would resurrect, that he would ascend. All of these are prophecies of the Bible. The latter days. I mean, don't you love the book? Anyone here ever just once in a while open up your Old Testament, just read the book of Joel? It's probably, in terms of random reading, it's probably the book that I randomly just say, I, I want to read the book of Joel because he's the, He's the Pentecostal prophet. I mean, he, he, is, he lays out the day of Pentecost. You know, uh, uh, 
his word, God's word, has been tested. Uh, Zechariah talks about the returning of the king and, and uh, all the prophecies uh, that we find uh, in, in Revelation. And, and how do we test prophecy? Well, if it comes to pass, it's true. In church, God's word is true. It's come to pass. The prophecies have all come to pass. And if it's not of God, amen, Galatians 1 and 8 and 9, right? But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now, again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Amen. Oh, church, we've got the truth. And how do we know? Because, because we are a simple people in terms of doctrine. If it says it in God's word, we'll do it. If it doesn't say it, you know, we can leave it. It doesn't matter. Amen? It's so simple because they made it so clear. This is the gospel. Obey it. There's no other gospel. There's not a new gospel for every generation. This is it. It was good enough for them. It's good enough for me. The 12 spies went out to look at the promised land. They saw the same thing. They saw giants in the land. All 12 understood the same thing. All 12. They knew that it would take a battle. They knew that it would be work. But only Joshua and Caleb said, I'm up to the challenge. Only Joshua and Caleb said, I'm willing to fight. Amen. One of the wonderful Abraham Lincoln stories that I like, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln, I probably have mentioned this, he's the only president we ever had who was not a member of a church. He was never a member of any organization. But he was one of the most God-fearing men as a president we ever had. During the Civil War, he went to church uh, one time. He didn't do it regularly, but he went to church on a Wednesday night uh, service on New York Avenue, the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. And he would sit in the pastor's study with the door open uh, so he could hear uh, what was being preached and taught, uh, but in a, in a private, secluded situation. And so this one night, he brings one of his aides with him. Uh, and they're walking back home, and the aide asked the president what he thought about the sermon. He said, well, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was well thought out and powerfully, powerfully delivered. It was, it was beautiful. Oh, continued the aide, so you thought it was a good sermon? And uh, the president said, no, I think the sermon failed. It failed because Dr. Gurley did not ask us to do something great. He preached just great words about who Jesus was, but Lincoln said he didn't challenge us to do something with, with what Jesus has done for us. I'm challenging you, church. God's challenging us. It's not enough to just believe his word. We've got to begin it. We've got to obey it. We've got to believe it. We've got to read it. I mean, you're probably getting sick of this Bible study. I've been teaching it for two months now, maybe longer because we had five Four Wednesdays that we canceled in a row because of this weather. Uh, uh, listen, 
I'm challenging you, church. Let your life be a reflection of God's word. If his word says it, do it. Amen? Its promises are available to us. It is true. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and is the discerner of the intent of our heart. Amen. An elderly woman went to a doctor one time, and uh, she was losing her hearing, and she wanted to see a specialist about it. And the doctor examined her, and he suggested that she have an operation to uh, improve her hearing, and she promptly vetoed the idea. She said, I'm 94 years old. I have heard enough. <laughs> We live in a world where there's a lot of talking and a lot of opinion, but not a lot of action. Not a lot of action. So it's important that we apply the word, and that's the difference between hearing and applying the word in Christendom, which I just use for anyone who has a general belief in the Bible. You don't necessarily have to be a Christian to be part of Christendom. I think that the, the A-plus Christian is the one who applies God's word. Amen. James 1 and 22. Let's turn to this. I won't hold you much longer. Um, James 1 and 22. But be doers of the word, right? And not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Obviously, that's a mirror he's talking about. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Amen. We're, we're saved because we heard his word. James 1 and 21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which shall what? Be able to save your souls. So the engrafted word can save our souls. And so engrafting means applying. You, you engraft something into something else. You're applying it. It's, it's, it's engrafted. A person should not expect to be saved just because they've heard God's word. And you can hear all the preaching in the world you want. You can, you, you can uh, uh, read your Bible every day. But if you don't graft his word into your life, uh, then, then what benefit is it? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that does the will of my Father. Isaiah 41 and 1, in that day, Sister Bag, if you could come, in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Why? I taught on this very scripture. They didn't want the responsibility that came with being wed to this man. They just wanted his name because it was a shame to be unwed. So they wanted his name. No responsibility. Seven women, 
attach themselves to one man just so they can have his name. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall be saved. The point I make in church is this. Uh, we've got to live his word. We can't just be people who know his word. We can't just be people who believe his word. We've got to live it. Amen? We've got to live it. Let's stand tonight. Thank you, Lord. I'll end with this. I had a, a co-worker years ago who uh, I was witnessing to him, and, uh, and, I, and I asked him, he said to me, he said, you don't have to witness to me. I'm already saved. I'm already saved. And I said, how do you know you're saved? Because uh, I knew he wasn't, you know, a churchgoer or one who read their Bible. And he said, because, because I went to a minister once, and I asked the minister if I was saved. And the minister said, well, Jesus forgives everybody. So I guess you are. And he said, man, I felt great. <laughs> and I asked him, I said, so you believe you're saved because a minister said you're saved? And he said, yes. And I thought, you know what? That might be that man's theology and his wishful theology, but it's not right theology. We've got to believe it. We've got to trust it. We've got to obey it. We've got to apply it. Amen. Look yourself in the mirror. Say, how am I applying God's word in my life today? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. In Jesus' name.